Hey folks, it's Mike from Profiling Evil. I've been studying criminal behavior for more than 40 years, and one of my favorite research tools is Truthfinder. It's online, and you're not going to believe the information stored there. So if you want to know more about that new neighbor, your babysitter, or your online date, give Truthfinder a try. I'm including a special link below with special discount pricing, but you got to click the link and enter Evil 10 at checkout. Now, we're an affiliate, which means we get a small commission, but you can cancel at any time. Hey folks, William Hensley Sr. simply vanished after a family dispute back in 2003. That's 20 years ago and there's still no sign of him. No word from him. No indication of what happened to his vehicle. His family was left wondering, and I'm wondering what happened to William Hensley. Well, welcome to this special edition of Profiling Evil and this Missing Persons case. I hope you'll take a moment, hit that like and subscribe button, and ring the bell. That way, you're going to receive all of our notifications when we release videos like this one. Now, keep in mind, this video was recorded and edited nearly a year ago. We've had a lot of things happen since then, and we had to have a few things settle down before we released it. We apologize for any frustration that the slow release has caused the family. I want to welcome my friend Taylor Nicholas of TGI Crime Day and thank her for joining me on this episode. So Taylor, let's dig right in. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what we're going to talk about today. And folks, before she does, recognize the quality of our recordings has really improved a lot in the last year. So give us a little slack because some of the audio is a little wonky at places. Taylor? We need your help because there isn't a lot of information available. What we do know is that William Hensley Sr. was last seen at his home in Farnham, Virginia, uh, around 2.30 a.m. on July 7, 2003. According to public records, Henley left his home after a family dispute, never to return. Family members reported him missing and then... Everything just went cold. We haven't been able to locate any other information. Our attempts at talking with family have failed, and we're hoping someone out there might know something and might be watching this. Hensley was driving a dark green 1994 Chevrolet S10 truck. It had a couple of distinguishing characteristics, including a dent that extended from the passenger door all the way to the tailgate, and it had doors that were a lighter green than the rest of the truck and a plywood tailgate. This is a very distinctive truck, and it has never been found. The area Hensley was last seen is near the Rappahannock River. So, Mike, this is another one where we have such a small amount of information. Where do we even begin? You know, as you were talking about his vehicle, I was having flashbacks to the vehicle I drove in high school that was just pieced together. And I think this vehicle is going to play more importantly into this discussion today then maybe people have given credit to it. Uh, but here's where police usually start. Now, law enforcement undoubtedly has a ton of information that they're not sharing in the case. Hopefully the family has been engaged. But if if we were living in the area, for instance, the first thing I'd want to do is visit his home. I'd kind of want to uh, vicariously roll in the dirt, the places that he liked to hang out, the people that he hung out with. I'd want to know where he would walk and where he would play and where he would socialize. 
And that's why it's so important that we have this ability to talk to family and friends. It's there that we learn a little bit more about who these people are. So, Taylor, we've talked about this before. I call it victimology, but it's a study of the victim. And most often when something happens, people just kind of want to say the who done it or where are they? But, you know, the most important thing we can ask is who is the victim in this case and why did they become a victim? And as you just look at the little bit of information that you know about this person, tell me a little bit about who you think this person is. So, Mike, in preparing for this specific case, I went down every rabbit hole I could find to try to find more information and more answers about who he was as a person before he went missing or what was surrounding his exact movements before he left his home. And it's been really difficult to find that information. And it's like you said, I hope that there is more um, on the back end that maybe just hasn't been released because it is hard to find any information about him. So when you look at this kind of a case, Taylor, do you, uh, what are the kind of possibilities that you think? I mean, what would explain why somebody like this would just go, go off the face of the map? So the things that kept popping into my head when I was trying to come up with some idea of where he could have gone or what could have happened, there were three major ones. And um, of course, number one, there's always the possibility that he left on his own and decided to go start a new life without telling anybody. Maybe he had some problems going on that we know nothing about, and he decided it was time for a fresh start. Um, I think that possibly he could have left his home and ended up meeting with some kind of foul play. We don't really know a lot about his background, so we aren't sure uh, the people that he spent a lot of time with or if there was anybody that he was maybe involved with uh, that could have gotten him into a dangerous situation. That's another possibility. Um, and then I think probably the one that stood out the most to me uh, is that maybe there was some kind of a car accident involving a river or body of water that's near his home because there are a lot of bodies of water in that area. I really like the way you're thinking on this. And I would add another that it could be that his vehicle became a needle in the forest of haystacks out there and never touched a drop of water. And we always have to consider that, that it broke down somewhere. But but if it were broken down or recovered in the urban area, then we would know about that. And that information would have been relayed on to police because law enforcement in these kinds of situations enters all of the vehicle information into something that's called the National Crime Information Center, it's NCIC. And, and there, regardless of where this vehicle is across the, the United States, if it ends up in a, in a chop shop somewhere, somebody still has to enter that uh, VIN number in. So I like the way you're thinking on this, and I like the thought that it possibly could be an accident but I kind of like the idea that you're questioning, we don't know enough about his background to even consider whether it's foul play. Today, people like you and me have social media accounts and other things that if we just left and started a new life, I don't know that we could leave our social media life, our credit cards, our bank accounts mm -hmm. alone. And we don't know anything about that from this perspective, do we? Um, no, I, not for more information I could find. I'm sure that there is information that police have on whether he had, um, bank account movement or anything like that. But that's something that I think about a lot in these cases. Nowadays, it's a lot more difficult to just 
up and leave. Because like you said, I mean, we have cell phones, we have electronics that track everywhere we go. I know that there are cars that keep track of your routes as well. And, you know, with bank accounts, a lot of the time, I think um, in certain cases, you'll see someone who does go missing, but their bank account has maybe been drained or they've been taking small amounts of cash out over a certain amount of time. With something like this, it's so difficult to know because there wasn't that social media aspect of it. There wasn't a smartphone tracking his location. So I think that for cases that are, you know, closer or further away than the last, I don't know, 15-ish years, I think that it's a lot more feasible that someone could just leave and start over somewhere new. But that also calls into question, you know, to get a job, to get a car, to do anything, you have to use your social security number. So unless you have a whole plan where now you have a fake birth certificate and a fake social security number, I just, sometimes that idea of people just leaving to start a new life, maybe it's just my brain that goes on this whole journey. It just seems so difficult, the things you would have to have in place to make that happen. So I I always feel like that's the one where I'm like, I don't know. I don't think, I don't know. But I mean, people do it. People do it. I just think it would be very difficult. You know, it's crazy because I think about where I was 20 years ago and I was still hanging on to uh, cash and coin, for instance. And I thought I had a credit card, but that was something that you used if you had to, you know, check into a hotel or something. And, uh, and, and never in my wildest dreams did I believe that I would evolve to the point that I would pay for a 50 cent piece of candy or a $1 Dr. Pepper with my credit card. <laughs> and yet I do. And every stinking time I try to make a decision, somebody says, have you downloaded our app? Because yep. you need to have your information on the app. So I think you're absolutely right. That's a really challenging difference. But this was now 19 years ago that this guy disappeared. Yep. And that does, you know, it changes a lot of things. It doesn't seem, in some ways, it seems like that was not that long ago. And in other ways, as far as technology advancing, we're light years ahead of where we were at that point. So it's 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 crazy to think that in, you know, in the 2020s or like in the, in the 2000s, it's crazy to think that not that long ago, you could kind of just disappear and be off the grid and it wouldn't affect as much. I feel like now that's a lot more difficult to do, especially for millennials. <laughs> Folks, it's Mike from Profiling Evil, and I wanted to take a minute and tell you about our affiliate, Truthfinder. It's a company that I've been using for a couple of years to research cases and individuals. Now, Truthfinder uses publicly available information, but it brings it together in a way that provides answers quickly and concisely. You can use Truthfinder to check out your new babysitter, or maybe that new love in your life, or just to find somebody you haven't seen for an awfully long time. Truthfinder provides these comprehensive background reports, telephone reports, email reports, and even location information. So when you go in and examine the information in their search results, you're gonna find personal information, contact information, and places where your target has lived, not only historically, but currently. Now, all this can seem really overwhelming and maybe a little invasive to you. So I want to make sure you understand all of the information is publicly available information. TrueFinder just has an algorithm that brings it all together in a way that makes it a whole lot easier to access. 
Now, Truthfinder is an affiliate, which means we get a tiny commission when you sign up. It's about enough to buy a Diet Dr. Pepper, frankly. But I want you to know that I use it every single day, and I hope that you'll take a moment and sign up with them. I've given you a discount code, and it's down in the link below, so make sure you grab it. Evil 10. And remember, you can cancel this thing at any time. Now, I hope you'll give them a try, but but before you do, let's just jump back into today's discussion. You know, this one was kind of weird as we looked at it, Taylor, because um, I, we have to rely on publicly available information to get what we believe is the last physical home address for this man. And so we've done that. We've plotted it on the map. It's the blue point that you're looking at on the map, people. And you'll see that there are four red stars that are showing on that map as well. These are locations, bodies of water that we think are pretty interesting. Now, you might have some trouble looking at that thinking, wait a minute, you're, you're ignoring all that big body of water just to the south. But we want to think about this area from a geographic perspective. So what we do is we also look at it with an aerial map and we spend some time looking at uh, what we can find out about the depths of different bodies of water. But most importantly, what kind of bodies of water are tied to a way to get into them? And you remember, Taylor, I talked early on about how important the vehicle was. As you read that description of the vehicle, what did it tell you about that vehicle and the person that drives it? Well, based on... I mean, of course, the big dent that goes from the passenger door all the way to the back of the tailgate, we can assume that came from some kind of an accident. Um, and then along with the mismatched doors that don't match the rest of the body, that also makes me think that something happened to those, unless it was a stylistic choice. <laughs> and it sounds like maybe something happened to those and they were just replaced with the next, next best option. Um, I had a friend in high school whose car, it was a little Geo Metro. And that thing had a different color bumper and a different color driver's side door uh, just because it had been in some, you know, high school age accidents. <laughs> and it has been replaced with whatever the easiest option was. Um, I think also the truck had a plywood tailgate. So again, that could have been something that was maybe from an accident and that they just kind of put whatever was the easiest option um, and the least expensive option to use the plywood instead of uh, getting it replaced. So, so this is a vehicle that's meant to get around. It's not a vehicle intending to turn heads on the main drag of Farnham. Although it probably did. But <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably did. Good point. So here's something that I think is really interesting. Is, as a profiler, when you look at these kinds of cases, you don't look at the stuff that is just obvious. You look at what's not being said. And I wondered about this vehicle and the questions that I'd be asking if I were the investigator on this case is tell me what the tires are like. Are they road tires or are they off-road tires? Are they worn or are they newer? Why do you think that's so important as we start thinking about locations where this vehicle could have ended up? Well, it's a good thing to definitely look at the tires um, because, you know, it would tell you a lot about what kind of roads he was driving on. And if they're worn down at a normal rate or they just look like they have the normal dents and things like that, then we could assume that he's just driving on regular roads, freeways, etc. Um, but if it's treated more like a work truck and maybe it's, you know, the tires have been through a little bit more and you can tell that he's maybe driving out in more, you can tell that he's driving in more rural areas if he's got 
you know, a lot of damage maybe to the undercarriage or if the tires are very, very worn, uh, that would tell you a lot of kind of where he might have gone if it's more woodsy or if he's staying on main roads. Yeah. So, so do you see your thought process, your investigative mind questioning more things as you start thinking outside the box a little instead of, hey, he drove a truck? Tell me more about the truck. And does mm-hmm. that tell us about the victimology as well or this study of who this human being is? Yeah, I think that definitely adds to it. That's a really good point and something that now that you mentioned it, I'm like, that seems like such an obvious thing to look at, but that's your investigative mind that is at work. And I'm like, oh, that is a really good point because it would tell you a lot and at least give you an area of, you know, where to begin the search. If we know that he's often on back roads or dirt roads or mountainous roads, that gives you a lot better idea versus someone like me, who if you looked at my tires, they would say, oh, she only drives on the freeway. (laughs) There you go. So now we go back to this this need for maps and to really look at the area geographically. And all of a sudden we start seeing these bodies of water that look really attractive from the air until we see there is maybe not a road that leads to it or not an easy access point. Like in many of the cases to the south where you hit the bigger bodies of water, that there are a lot of really high-priced homes that are bordering that with private docks and other kinds of things where access would almost be impossible. Can you see the value of a map in this? Definitely. I can see why you love the map so much. (laughs) That is very helpful, and it does make a really big difference. I think sometimes when you look at a map and you see all of the water around it, your mind goes to a hundred different places. But when you start really looking at, sometimes you're right, it's in an actual neighborhood where it is private access. Or I know that in some of the cases I've seen, uh, that talk about how there is a main waterway, but it has some kind of a fence or um, like a cement barrier that would be very obvious if it was like if an accident had happened, it would have crashed through it. So there would be damage to the fence or um, the cement walls, et cetera. And when there's no damage along that whole stretch, you know that they couldn't have gone into the water there. There you go. So now you're starting to become prescriptive in the investigation, something that sometimes doesn't happen because uh, we have officers who have tons of cases they're managing. They may not take it quite seriously because this, again, is an adult who went out, maybe made a choice, maybe drove to Las Vegas, but there, there's less and less um, evidence to support that because he never returned. But then we start looking at things again as we paint this picture of who this person is. I've never met William. Have you met William Hensley? Nope. <laughs> Less likely in this case, in my opinion, but absolutely possible. Just a devil's advocate. <laughs> but now you're starting to create a victimology where at first we thought there was none. You know, I remember as we started this one off, we're talking about oh, there's just not much out there. And yet as we dig deeper, all of a sudden we're seeing somebody, for instance, if that truck was always covered with mud on the sides, that tells us a ton. Mm-hmm. If that truck was always filled with something particular, maybe he liked to collect firewood, it tells us something really intriguing about his personality and about some of the things that motivate him day by day. But then there's this really cool stuff available through public records that you uncovered. And I don't know if you put a lot of stock in it at first, 
but it had to do with William's driving history. What did you see there that you found that was interesting? Because you uncovered that William had a driving history that included speeding tickets, reckless driving, driving on a revoked or suspended license. Now, as we take all of this that we've started to create, this victimology, and we look at a guy who potentially likes to get out in the woods a little bit, drive on dirt roads, maybe drive a little too fast or a little too recklessly. And we go back to your early options of went away to start a new life for himself, which I got to say, I don't know where he would have gotten the funds to start a new life for himself if his tailgate is a piece of plywood. But I don't know the guy. Uh, or it's a very good what point. about the possibility? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that there was anything to support a suicide attempt. But man, it sure seems like we got an accident that's just waiting to happen, don't we? Definitely. I think that you're totally right. And especially when you look at it that way, when you're thinking of, we didn't really talk about that earlier, but the monetary side of leaving and starting a new life, if there's a plywood, you know, a, a plywood piece on his truck instead of getting it actually fixed, that does make it really difficult. And I think that you're right, showing those different, um, you know, the, the past, showing the different past that he's had with his driving record and maybe not the safest driver, I think that's fair to say. It does open up a lot of possibilities with the area that he was in for something to have happened. In the comments, well, there down. you go, folks. I want to thank Taylor Nicholas of TGI Crime Day for joining me on these special missing person cases. I hope you'll go over to her channel and subscribe. You know, we're extending our sincere sympathies to the Hensley family for taking so long in getting this video out. But again, there were a few things that had to happen, and I hope that they and you understand. But folks, if there's anything you know about this case, please reach out to law enforcement immediately. And please enter your thoughts down below. Let us know what you think happened in this case. And again, make sure you're hitting that like and subscribe button and ringing the bell and doing all of that stuff. And you might consider joining our channel memberships. My favorite is the Academy level, and I think you'd enjoy all the special content that you get there. And don't forget, go over and visit us at ProfilingEvil.com, where you can get some additional content on your favorite platform, Profiling Evil. And if you like podcasts, go to our podcast at Profiling Evil on your favorite podcast platform. Now listen, we still have about 10 more missing cases that we recorded last year. We're going to release them over the coming weeks and we hope you enjoy them. It's really interesting to me though as I think back on how our quality has improved over the last year. So again, if you see a video or audio with a little less than good quality, cut us a little slack. Would you please? Hey, thanks for supporting Profiling Evil. We'll see you soon at the next crime scene.
Hey folks, it's Mike from Profiling Evil. I've been studying criminal behavior for more than 40 years, and one of my favorite research tools is TruthFinder. It's online, and you're not going to believe the information stored there. So if you want to know more about that new neighbor, your babysitter, or your online date, give TruthFinder a try. I'm including a special link below with special discount pricing, but you got to click the link and enter Evil10 at checkout. Now, we're an affiliate, which means we get a small commission, but you can cancel at any time.